This is Dina Weiss for Hadar on Parashat Kitavo, Chased by Blessing. In Parashat Kitavo, we encounter beautiful blessings and truly chilling curses. At first, it seems that the loveliness of the blessings is no match for the horror of the curses. Even a cursory reading of the parasha yields that the intensity of the curses clearly outstrips the fullness of the blessings. The parasha dedicates a mere 14 verses to the description of the blessings, whereas the number of verses devoted to describing the curses is 54. We are left with the theologically difficult and emotionally unbearable suggestion that, in fact, God is more interested in cursing us than in blessing us. That Moshe is not engaging in hyperbole when he says, and it will be that just as God rejoiced over you to benefit you and increase you, so God will rejoice over you to annihilate you and to destroy you, and you will be removed from the earth that you are coming to in order to inherit it. In the literal sense, the verse implies that God is just as happy to make us suffer as he is to improve our lot. But the preponderance of curses suggests that maybe God rejoices more over destroying us than he does in making us great. Maybe God, God forbid, wants us to fail, and that is why this section of curses is so elaborate. Yet, it is possible to learn from the imbalance in the presentation of the brachot and klalot something that does not point in a negative and hurtful direction. What appears at first as God's being stingy or reluctant with blessings actually points to the possibility of a deeper and more rewarding relationship, one that goes beyond payment and punishment, recompense and reward. The blessings and curses are opposite in their intent, but both the passage that recounts the brachot and the one that describes the klalot begin with similar language. Baruch atah ba'ir, uvaruch atah basadeh. Blessed are you in the city, blessed are you in the field. Arur atah ba'ir, v'arur atah basadeh. Cursed are you in the city, cursed are you in the field. And throughout the blessings and curses, mirror language can be found. However, there is one moment where this parallel language doesn't seem to make sense. The first two verses of chapter 28, those immediately preceding Baruch Atabair, blessed are you in the city, read as follows. And it will be, if you listen to the voice of Hashem your God, to be careful to perform all of his commandments which I am commanding you today, then Hashem your God will set you on high over all the nations of the earth, and these blessings will come and catch up to you, v'hisigucha, when you listen to the voice of Hashem your God. The verb v'hisigucha will catch up to you, or perhaps will grab you, is very strange in the context of blessing. It fits much more naturally in the context of a curse. We are generally only caught by something we are trying to avoid and are running away from. And in fact, this terminology is used twice and much more fittingly in this section of curses. 
How are we to understand the use of this term, vehisigucha, and it will catch up to you, in the context of the brachot? Why does it appear that we are running away from something that is ostensibly good for us? In Pirkayavot, Antigonos teaches the value of deliberately choosing to forego reward. Antigonos ishsacho kibel mishimon hatzadik, hu haya omer, al tiyuk avadim hamishamshin etarav amenat lekabel paras. Ella havuka avadim hamishamshim etarav amenat shalo lekabel paras, v'yihi morashamayim alechem. Antigonos man of Seho received from Shimon HaTzadik. He would say, Do not be like servants who minister to the master on the provision of receiving reward, paras. Rather, be like servants who minister to the master on the provision of not receiving reward, and the fear of heaven shall be upon you. According to Antigonos, though there are many places in the Torah, like in our parasha, where God guarantees reward, there is something inherently problematic in serving God on that basis. We should want not to be paid. And even if we know that the payment is coming, we should actively try to avoid it. If we do receive any physical or financial benefit, we should feel as though it has caught us, because reward is the opposite of what we are seeking. The Rambam explains that even a slightly transactional approach to our relationship with God is problematic. Pras, reward, is the recompense which a person will be restored by a person to whom one does not owe a favor, though they do it anyway, through the way of kindness and graciousness. Like one who says to his servant or to his young child or to his wife, do such and such for me, and I will give you a dinar coin or two. This is the difference between reward, paras, and payment, sachar. For payment is what he must be given by law. And this righteous person, Antignos, says that you shouldn't serve blessed God on the provision that he will benefit you and bestow kindness upon you, and hope for compensation and serve him for it. Indeed, you should serve him like servants who do not hope for benefit and do not want the giving of kindness. Rather, they serve from love. The Rambam intensifies Antignos' teaching by distinguishing between two types of recompense, reward and payment. According to the Rambam, it is obvious that one should not serve God in order to receive payment. We are not God's employees, and God does not owe us anything in exchange for our serving him. Therefore, this Mishnah's teaching is both more subtle and more forceful According to the Rambam, a person may not even enjoy rewards or incentives or gifts that God may promise for doing God, quote-unquote, a favor. We are to serve God out of love, and any involvement of personal benefit sullies or possibly invalidates that kind of service. However, Rav Chaim of Velushin's interpretation of this concept complicates this insight of the Rambam. 
he argues that it isn't so clear that trying to avoid reward from God is always the correct approach. It can be more loving to actually accept reward from God graciously and with the right attitude. Benaamik od lahaskil bazem ki hine achare asher ikar kavanat habria hi lehitiv livruav vimkain lefiza yitachain ki haavoda hayoter chashuva umekubelat tihia almenat lekabel peras ki yavod almenat sheitiv lo sheyagia mizen nachatruach lefanavit barachshemo. Ach, באמת, אם מכוון עבודתו שיגיע לו שכר, וכוונתו רק כדי שיגיע מזה נחת ברוח להשם יתברך שמו, בהיטיבו עם בוריו, חלף עבודתם, זהו העבודה המעולה. אכן, אם מכוון הוא להנאתו, היא העבודה הפחותה שהזהירנו מזה. Let us understand this more deeply. Given that the principal intention of creation was for God to benefit his creatures. If so, it makes sense to say that the most significant and wanted service would be on the provision of receiving reward, when he serves on the condition that God will benefit him. For from this, blessed God will have pleasure, nachat ruach. In truth, if he intends in his service of God that he will get reward, but his intention is only that this will bring God pleasure, in his ability to benefit his creatures in exchange for their service, then this is the best service. However, if he intends for his own pleasure, then this is the inferior service that we have been warned against. In order to understand Rav Chaim, it is helpful to imagine that you have a grown child living in another part of the country and she comes home to visit. This visit is something that you, the parent, have been waiting for, and you lovingly prepare a special meal for your daughter with all of her favorite foods. Each component of making this meal, even the most tedious shopping and chopping, is cast in a different light by the excitement you have about the visit. What you want is to provide for your beloved child whom you haven't seen in so long. Watching her enjoy the meal brings you great joy and pleasure. According to the Rambam, the principle of refusing even the slightest reward would mean that a child should always refuse, or at least not want, the help or gift that a parent offers. The child should come home ready to help her parents and want to serve them, since she owes them her life and an endless debt of gratitude. She should not want to eat this meal and should refuse it. However, according to Rav Chaim, it would be the height of rudeness for your child to come home and refuse to eat the meal that you provided. According to him, your daughter could approach this meal with one of two possible attitudes. She could understand that eating and appreciating this meal is something that will make you feel happy and valued as a parent. She might even make sure to eat less earlier in anticipation in order to provide you the pleasure of providing for her. If she does so, even though technically you are the one who is benefiting her, she allows you to indulge her because doing so brings you so much joy. However, there is another possible way this meal could play out. If your child comes home only because she is hungry, that is another situation entirely. She doesn't come home because she wants to see you. She doesn't recognize what you have done for her and why. She only sees the food on the plate and needs to satisfy her own stomach and not to please you. In that case, the child does not do right by accepting the meal and your beneficence, and following the Rambam's guidelines would be considered better behavior. But 
in order to truly understand the perspective of the Rambam, that any type of payment or reward is inherently problematic, we need to extend the metaphor. Imagine your child comes home and follows Rav Chaim's approach. She eats to her heart's content, and you are so happy to see her there enjoying the meal that you have provided. She thanks you for the meal, helps you clean up, and leaves two $20 bills on the table. You're not a server. You're a parent. Of course you don't feed your child in the hope that she will pay you, but because you love her and, that, and giving to her brings you joy. It is inappropriate for her to offer you money in exchange for something that you offer out of love. It demonstrates that she doesn't understand what your gift means and she doesn't know how to value it. You want a hug and a thank you. You absolutely do not want money. A tip left by a child is, frankly, revolting. The presence of the money reflects poorly on her understanding of your relationship, or worse, reflects poorly on the relationship itself. Because you love your child so much, her money is not only something that you are loath to accept, but also something that you are horrified that she would think to give you. However, in other circumstances, money and payment is the respectful and most appropriate way to show appreciation. If you're an employer who values your employees, you pay them. If an employee asks for a raise and you instead offer them a hug or the opportunity to spend more quality time with you, you do not understand the nature of that relationship. What our parasha and the Mishnah in a vote and its commentaries teach us is that we have the opportunity to determine our relationship with God through our attitude towards God's rewards. If we think of God as a boss, he will treat us as employees and compensate us accordingly. But if we think of God as a parent, he will relate to us in that way. Choosing to pursue a relationship with God in which receiving benefit from God for our own material enrichment is an absurd or an appropriate goal is the fullest expression of and all of these blessings will come to you and chase you. The ultimate goal of the brachot is that we transcend the need for brachot. We will be so close to God that we will not want his blessing. It will make sense to us that the section which describes the brachot will be abbreviated because we will be so in love with God, so happy and comfortable with one another, that talk of reward would be unwelcome. Money in the forms of gifts, payments, and loans can also be one of the most complicated components of interpersonal relationships. Some people really appreciate handmade, heartfelt gifts with no price tag. And some people feel more valued when they receive an expensive present. Some parents love to be taken out to dinner by their children. Some parents need to be the ones to cover the check. We should think carefully about how money fits into our current relationships and how money can change our relationships for better or for worse. Sometimes giving a friend in need an interest-free loan will make them grateful and will strengthen the relationship. Sometimes the involvement of that debt and obligation can put enough strain on a friendship to break it. Should we give money to a sibling or friend in need, or will that cause them to resent us? Does receiving this money make us feel taken care of, or does it make us feel belittled? 
In subtle ways, almost all of our relationships have subtle or overt financial threads. Being a good friend can be expensive. Our friends assume that we will pay the cost of a plane ticket to attend their out-of-town wedding, give them a gift in honor of the birth of their child, contribute to their bike ride for charity, or attend their synagogue's fundraising dinner. People who invite us to their tables and their parties expect that we can afford to invite them in return. Some spouses expect expensive gifts, and some spouses resent expensive gifts. We all have different approaches to money, and we also have different levels of financial capacity. What may seem like a slight expense to me could be a budget breaker for you. We tend to find it distasteful to talk about money, but financial issues are often the stakes in an argument or misunderstanding that appears to be about something else. It is more wise to speak openly and think sensitively about how spending can improve, destroy, or simply change our relationships than it is to ignore it. We need to acknowledge that money can be both a blessing and its opposite. Our parasha recognizes this complexity. Sometimes we run to a reward, and sometimes we need to run from it. Wishing you a Shabbat of welcome blessing. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah.